Welcome back to the Moody Profcast. This podcast seeks to explore the intersection between theology and our culture by discussing various topics with the faculty of the Moody Bible Institute. Today, I would like to welcome our guest, Professor Brian Kamerzelt. Brian Kamerzelt is an associate professor and chair of the communications department at the Moody Bible Institute. Professor Kamerzelt has a bachelor's in multimedia design, advertising, and a double minor in marketing and public relations from Bradley University. He also has a Master of Arts in Communication and Culture from Trinity International University. He applies his academic and practical expertise to help Christians understand, engage, and create culture. His courses of instruction at the Moody Bible Institute include Media and Culture, Media and Ecology, Persuasion and Debate, Speech and Advocacy, Public Discourse and Critical Thought, Media Advocacy, Communications History and Cultural cultural Change, Methods of Critical Reasoning, technological and quantitative literacy, and integrated media design. Professor Kamerzelt believes deeply in the importance of equipping theologically trained media artists for the current media landscape that we have today. Professor Kamerzelt, thank you for coming on the show. How are you feeling today? Thank you for having me. This is uh, great. Really happy to be here. So Professor Kamerzelt is actually, as I said earlier, the the chair of the department. He's the one that will be evaluating this project. So maybe this will kind of do some of the preliminary work for evaluating the, the content here, but I'm just happy to have you on the show. Yeah, I think this is great. I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. All right. We can head from the top. Tell us how you came to be working at the intersection between digital media, cultural studies, theology, and academia. Yeah, that is a, a loaded question. It is certainly by the forceful sense of humor of a very creative God. I, uh, I'm just a kid from the sticks of Wisconsin. I grew up look, uh, very much invested in a rural lifestyle. It wasn't a life of media and technology, in creativity, in the arts. But somewhere in high school, I discovered photography. And this is back when photography was still a very manual world, you know, dark rooms and film. But sometime in my teens, uh, photography really set in as something that I could do um, and maybe I could do well. I went to three high schools, not something I'd recommend. And that those transitions sort of... Um, put me in a place as a young man just needing to gravitate towards something. And I think by God's grace and provision, it was photography. I think photography literally saved my life as a, as a teen man. And um, it's one of those things I was able to do uh, in multiple high schools and begin to gain some level of encouragement or um, uh, in from my, from my teachers then. And so, yeah, of course, I would then go from high school and what was the question? Now, back then, not everyone went to college, but thankfully, my father was very adamant that we would go to college. Uh, we would be really the, he was the first college graduate and from his generation. He was adamant that we would go to college. And so I didn't originally have a lot of ambition to go to college. He really was certain that I was going to college. And so there I off I went um, in as a photography major. This is in the late 90s. Things got a little bit strange. Uh, the internet explodes. The, um, the computer becomes more part of our life. And increasingly, we are on the internet in digital media. And I find myself discovering digital design. I find myself discovering uh, multimedia development. And I go to Bradley University for one of the first multimedia degrees in the country. The idea was I would still be a photographer, but the career, the future, the the way the world was going is into um, an online digital environment. And it was an explosion in new communications theory and thought. 
Now, I was also raised, uh, you know, devoutly in the Christian faith. My, my faith took hold at a very young age, and so I was always thinking theologically about these things, but there was clearly a disconnect in my tradition when it comes to things like the arts and creativity and media in the church, you know. A lot of your listeners might remember a time when our tradition was very much uh, against any sort of engagement in cultural creativity or media, uh, an era where uh, we would sort of reject all of those things or maybe at most create our own sterilized versions of those things. But something else was also really happening that was interesting in particularly evangelical culture uh, at the same exact time um, in these late 90s dot-com boom, uh, 2000 happened. The world didn't blow up. We had to go on. What was it to engage the, engage the culture? What was it to be a part of the world? What was it to be a part of this new online digital media environment? These are really exciting questions. So I'm a young man. I'm in graduate school. I go to Trinity International University and get uh, – they created a brand-new communication and culture degree to look fresh. I try to be cutting edge about what it is to be a Christian in the modern era. I was the very first person through that program. And they were. They were asking very cutting-edge questions that we didn't have good answers to. As a result of that, that sort of outlier timing, being someone who was a big part of the dot-com boom, had an elite career, had a lot of technical skills, uh, had a lot of time spent in sort of reflective thought on myself as a photographer, the role of media in my faith, in my future, in my career, led to some work. That got early attention. Now, I did not go to grad school to go into media studies. I was going to – I was working more on the intersection of um, faith and, say, social policy. I thought maybe I'd be um, doing government consulting or things like that. But one of my graduate theses is on the role of um, media in our lives – began to get attention, and we began to teach, what do I say, teaching up. A lot of the older folks were really, really interested in what these changes were, and suddenly people were listening to some of the synthesis of um, com theory and theology and technical expertise that was sort of the topic of those early 2000s, and that's what began my career. Uh, I started teaching um, around 2005, 2006. Uh, shortly after that, social media exploded. And there's just been a nonstop need for um, not just conversation and not just guidance on how we use these new tools, which is we can talk about more later is language um, I'm very uncomfortable with, to think theo theologically about these questions. There is no media and culture question that you can ask that doesn't almost immediately raise theological questions. And I realized very, very quickly that we are woefully ill-prepared for the theological implications of a rapidly mediated world. And here we are about 15, 20 years later, uh, and we are now at the Moody Bible Institute uh, and training as, um, as many students, both theologically um, and through their creativity, uh, hopefully to make things that matter, that mean something in this newly mediated world we wake up in every day. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating because you look at the development of technology in the past 50 years, especially with the development of the internet, smartphones, computers. These are groundbreaking pieces of technology that will forever 
and are currently greatly affecting how we interact with each other, what it means to interact with reality. And in a sense, what happens is that technology becomes exponential. You look at the difference between 1000 AD and 1500 AD, not that much of a difference. You look at the difference between 1950 and 2020, astronomical difference. And the new developments that are happening in technology just keep getting crazier and crazier that we can achieve so much in such a short period of time. And you're absolutely correct, Professor Kamersel, that we need to have a proper theology of how do we interpret and utilize these new pieces of mediated reality to properly communicate the gospel. So what would you say is the role of media, more specifically digital media, in the life of the church today? Yeah, one of the the things that we need to begin to wrestle with is the sort of odd relationship that sort of the current generation still has with these, what they would consider new media technology. You really nailed it when you talk about the exponential rate of change. Most of what we understand as our media environment came to, came about in the late in the second half of the 20th century. But there's been an entirely new revolution that's happened uh, roughly around 2005. The internet and the technologies that we're talking about are literally only about 10 years old. And so we're in this ever-evolving media environment or this media ecosystem, and we need to start seeing it as that. If we keep, see, keep um, seeing and addressing these questions as that our media are external tools that we employ, we're misunderstanding both the technology and the nature of media. So one of the ways I think the church needs to understand digital media in the life of the church is to understand that we are a part of this new media ecosystem, whether we are, want to be or not. The, that that if, if media is indeed, our communications in our culture are indeed inextricably linked, that communications and culture, or media and culture, that our shared collective expressions are now um, – um, experience through these mediated environments, they are extensions of ourselves. And so that's where the people are. That's where we are extending ourselves into, and the church absolutely needs to be there. So it's, a, it's not really a question of how should the church use new media or new tools and technology. It is assessing the media environment in which we find ourselves, uh, how we shape it, how it shapes us, and then asking, how do we communicate in this environment? A lot of becoming theologically trained in communications, meeting the arts, is not just an assumption that we would, of course, use whatever the latest environment is or tool or technology is, but it's about how are we to communicate what we are to communicate. And the way we want to, the, the best way in which to communicate what we are charged with communicating may not be in whatever the latest broadcast technology or virtual technology is, which actually gets exciting because uh, what we what we have is a little bit of this um, land rush to digital spaces, and um, I think in our tradition we've sort of forgotten the. Uh, infinite variety of creative ways in which we have to communicate, express, and create meaning. In a very digital world, maybe understanding that person, really understanding that person we want to witness to, minister to, share the gospel with, is not about solely meeting them in that digital space that they find themselves in, but providing an anti-environment that they didn't even know they needed. 
other ways to be in this world and communicate and create meaning in our lives that aren't easily duplicatable in these extended extended environments, these digital disincarnate um, mediums that we spend increasingly amount of our lives in. So we can't ignore it because it's a part of the environment in which we find ourselves. We can't just blindly employ it. We can't abandon um, the people who are spending a lot of extending themselves in these environments, spending a lot of their emotional, personal, um, professional lives in these spaces. But we can't get blinders on to where we only see that these spaces are ministry or that is what that is what ministry media is because it's just a much it's a much richer, more timeless um, uh, opportunity we have to engage in this world. Yeah, I remember one quote I think you said in class is that, you know, people can oftentimes look down upon, oh, you're studying communications at a Bible college. And I remember one time you said, I think it's some pastoral study student here was mocking a communications student. And you said, well, this student will be in charge of maybe, I mean, if they become a pastor, maybe 60 to 100, maybe 300 at the larger scale. But someone who is a communicator online, someone who has a follower of possibly 300,000 people, they also need to be just as theologically trained in how to communicate who God is with this ever-changing landscape of what the modern-day eco- media ecology system is. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun in Bible college. There's always these uh, youthful turf wars that are adventures in missing the point. And, um, and I never, I, I, you know... I've never lost this debate. You know, Moody is very much a, a, a ministry media school, but you're right. And um, uh, anybody who's wondering why theologically trained communicators and media artists should just reflect on how much time they themselves spend with media in a given day, and it's near total. So it's it's a pretty easy case to make that we need to be all of us need to be theologically trained in the in perceiving our media environments and how we shape it and how it shapes us. But also to your other point, yes, we have students coming in with hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok. What do you do with that? I believe there's one with one million on TikTok. On campus already. Yeah. Ask me, you know, why would they need to be biblically and theologically grounded? Why their their talent for content, why their charisma that attracts people should certainly not be separate from their biblical and theological studies. It's not just to add a little Bible and theology to your media skills. It is to think fresh theologically, realigning our practices. We're very, especially in the modern evangelical church with all of these resources, I mean, we're sitting in a you know, very state-of-the-art recording lab as it is. We can take it for granted that, um, that we not only should be doing these things, but um, that that we are just going to add this new technology to our existing way of doing things. And we do that in our local church where we add new practices or new styles to our existing way of doing things. And it really creates a dissonance where our practices often don't line up with what we believe. We say we are that we believe this about the church. We say we believe this theologically. And very often the way we communicate that somehow misses the message. It doesn't really mean that to the people who hear it or it's sort of, uh, I hear you saying it, but I'm not experiencing it. Or um, uh, our theology is very deeply personal and incarnate, 
But sometimes we can feel so pragmatic and distant and mass-produced, and so we need to realign. We need to stop just adding whatever the latest thing is and realign our practices so it begins rooted in our common identity in Christ through a biblical grounding, then a good biblical theology, then good communications theory, and then good communications practices. It must be aligned that way from whether it's the broadcaster or the pastor or just the average person trying to navigate a fully mediated world. When we look at the modern age, we can see that technology has become so integrated into our lives. And what can one of the greatest faults I see of evangelicalism today is, I think, partially influenced from American utilitarianism or, as you said, pragmatism. Oftentimes, pragmatism can become the ethic of how we formulate our theology, our church practices, and our media practices. But pragmatism is often reactionary, and it's not formational. I remember you talked about in your classes having the, the, the center uh, model for having – the common model for having Christ in the center, concentric circles of influence, and that when we have Christ as our centerpiece for our theology, from there – we can properly communicate who Christ is. But when we're reactionary and our models for communicating who Christ is in our media or in our church practices are rooted out of pragmatism, what can happen, what can happen is that the pragmatism overrides the theology rather than the theology of who Christ is being the foundation for how we communicate through our media today. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you really do get it because, you know, whether you've taken a class with me or really don't have to even talk with me long to hear me rail against this idea of reactionary theology. And I think you see a lot of that, especially in um, emerging communications practices. Uh, we went through an era of, you know, marketing in public relations best practices and what what works, right? Before that, it was sort of the um, the pop culture knockoff philosophy. Okay, what is the culture into? We'll just make a D-rated version of that with a clever Jesus twist, and that's Christian media. We keep reacting and reacting, and it's a photocopy of a photocopy, and we wonder why we what we make doesn't mean what we intended. We misunderstand how meaning is made, and we misunderstand how the media works, and we certainly misunderstand media and culture because I don't think we have, a, again, a theological approach to our understanding of these things. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely, as you said before, it's so notable how much time people spend. Like as much as people want to knock off communications or media, it's, well, you spend time on communications fields and consume media. And I remember I wrote a paper for your class, Communications Theology and Culture, and I discovered through that process that Gen Z on average spends about three hours a day on social media. And you scale that out to a lifetime, that comes to about on average 10 to 12 years of their lives consuming social media and being formed by it. Yeah, because that's it. It's it's more than just consumption. It's more than just passive entertainment. We we would like to believe that we are above the fray, but no, these are formative spaces. These are formative ritual practices of involvement. These are the voices we listen to. These are the words we return to. These are the things that shape us. We do not do a good enough job of understanding the role of messages, especially in the new media ecosystem that is socialized, that is dialogical, that is fragmented into sort of an infinite variety of subgroups um, that become monolithic and sometimes in their sort of their the, the public awareness of them and things like meme culture, but also the hyper niche worlds that you've never even heard about that have millions of people spending hours of their day in. That's also why we need as many theologically trained communicators and media artists because only, only 
those who sort of come from or are part of those uh, cultures and subcultures, whether those are like the traditional national and ethnic cultures uh, uh, or the modern mediated tribal cultures that you find out there. I can't be the message maker for all of those spaces, nor do I want to try. This era of monolithic message making, this transmissional bias towards one communication center that then sends the same message to everybody, that was a limit of technology and certainly not a model that we should be following when the technology now allows us to be both hyperlocal and global all at the same time. It's truly mind-blowing the opportunity and the potential that we have. These tools are far too formative for us to wield poorly or just hop on a mic without understanding them at all. Yeah, I think it's also it ties into the concept of maybe Christian culture or even as a secular and sacred culture where oftentimes what Christians can result to is creating their own Christian versions of secular pieces of media. And I kind of want to touch on the topic that we discussed in our class last semester of kayfabe and how lots of Christianity, uh, Christian me- media can become a form of kayfabe. Can you expand upon that concept for us? Yeah, let me layer it up a little bit because um, it's sort of a progression of a concept. Uh, we, uh, we read together Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. And what Neil Postman, one of our founding media colleges, does a great job is helping us um, see the shift from a literate public to a televisual one. And he's mostly focused on the television as this new late 20th century monolithic presence in the American home. And his main concern was um, entertainment, that everything becomes inconsequential entertainment, that no matter what you try to communicate through that medium, it just comes out as entertainment. And in a consumer culture, we can reduce anything in entertainment. We just passively take it in and brush it off and move on with our day. Now, there are other undertones in Postman's work and certainly um, much greater clarity in other media colleges' work like Jacques Allel, who speaks speaks more directly to propaganda. So, yes, there is an entertainment glut, but that is not really what's happening in a lot of media ever and certainly not in a lot of modern media. So amusement seeks to distract, propaganda to lead. And so a lot of what we think of as entertainment is actually propaganda. It has an agenda. It wants you to do something. Sometimes that's buy something. Sometimes that's believe something. But in it, but it, and sometimes it's touch your phone 60 times a day. But it's designed to get you to do something that, that is in the interest of the message maker and sometimes in the disinterest of your own self. That's propaganda. We can talk about it very generically or we can talk about it sort of more in the sinister way it's often talked about. But a lot of what's understood as modern media is either entertainment or propaganda. Now, that brings us to a new, a new thing, which is uh, being referred to as kayfabe. And this draws language from um, professional wrestling, the, the World Wrestling Federation. This is the, the wrestling that a lot of people are familiar with who, who have seen it. It's the – whether it's the Hulk Hogan era or Dwayne the Rock Johnson era, we all know that wrestling isn't real, right? But is it not a real experience? Uh, wrestling you might dismiss as trite or trivial or niche. It is one of the most watched styles of entertainment in the world which you may not realize, but it's true nonetheless. Auditoriums of people fill in and scream at the top of their lungs for what? For the narrative that's being played out in front of them. 
There's good guys and bad guys. There's drama. There's there's twists and turns. There's um, having the 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 good guy on the ropes and then victorious or suffers a crushing loss and later has to come back victorious. Uh, um, there's uh, wild twists where people come out of nowhere to come to somebody's aid and new alliances. And there's this unfolding drama done, which might seem comical, but the more you get into it, the more you literally emotionally get into it. And so the idea is we know it's fake as far as not real wrestling, but we all act along as if it is real, because that's what we're doing. And yes, some people have a hard time differentiating that whether it's real or not. Whether it's the very first film, you might remember, the, might, you and your listeners might sort of know the, the urban legend of the very first film. Uh, the very first movie, moving picture, was of a train coming right at the audience. And as the urban legend goes, they saw the train coming right at them and people jumped out of the way not able to differentiate the screen from real life. And we think, huh, what rubes from the 1800s? Obviously, the rub is we are still them. They are still us. We still have a hard time differentiating what's on the screen from real life. We model this in our social media. We know Instagram's not real life, but we act as if that person really is their social media profile. You know that your social media profile is not your real self, but we can get confused. Going back to this idea of kayfabe, that style of entertainment, that capitalization of that sort of mass um, shared agreement to participate in this drama is not actually isolated to just wrestling. That style of production is actually in other types of media. And one of the places you see that are, say, in cable so-called news channels. These are not news channels. They're sometimes they might qualify as entertainment and sometimes they might qualify as propaganda, but they might be something else. This willingness to participate in something that is a, a false dramatic narrative as if, as if it is real life. You add identity politics and things like that and you get into some pretty frightening waters as far as the nature of that kind of media. Now, as is always the crux – as goes a lot of these trends, we still find these things. We also find these things in the church. They find their way in, especially if we're reactionary, especially if we duplicate, especially if we look at what works and do the same thing and try to become more entertaining or become more propagandistic. Or, yes, I've seen kayfabe tendencies begin to work their way into church, church communications, productions, and ministry media. What would you say are some examples of kayfabe in church ministry and church production today? We've got your easy targets, right? Your very big characters, you know, um, using old uh, cult practices with a little bit more, um, you know, flamboyance, more a little more of a reality show edge. You know, there's a reason why we're electing reality show stars to politics and things like that. It's all just entertainment. It's it's just a good show. At least I'm not bored that day. And how much of church, which should be a very, um, very uniquely sacred space, looks more and more like entertainment or concerts or or personality shows or um, some sort of unfolding drama in the world. We're bringing up current events and, and, and pitting ourselves against those current events. I grew up in an era where 
it was very common to hold up the newspaper, uh, usually something about Russia, um, which is back in the news, and then you know talk about the Bible. We that, this is the era we're living in, and you know we're we're in this grand narrative, and a lot of it was sort of a, a persecution or an oppression narrative, but that didn't really align with my actual experience, a life of wealth and privilege and acceptance of complete religious freedom. And I wondered what was so attractive about that narrative and why people weren't really able to see that it wasn't rooted in their perceptual or experiential reality. We're still doing that. Yeah, I definitely see that in terms of what happens to be on the news today can often be what is the most engaging or entertaining story for us. And I've seen this also in how Facebook's algorithms design themselves as well in that they design their algorithms so that you will see what is most enraging because that will get the most engagement from you. And so oftentimes in our news consumption as well, what happens is that I think Neil Postman really got at this is like the now this news, this just in news, whatever is the most engaging and will get the most listenership and the most monetary incentive can oftentimes become how we cover reality, which portrays and affects how we all perceive reality. And these trends can also seep into the church where oftentimes the essence of the gospel, who Christ is and what he desires for our lives can be manipulated and overtaken by cultural trends. Mm-hmm. One of the core sort of universal properties of media is it, it directs attention. And mm-hmm. so, again, if we're reacting to these algorithmic feeds, we're now creating content to react to that content. And it's just an adventure in missing the point. Well, we're not actually addressing the things that really matter, the things that have true meaning, the things that people really need to hear. We just act as if what we see on TV is real life, all the while railing against media saying that's not real life. But we're not offering anything else. We're not offering the anti-environment, the better reality being made known. We're not inviting people into anything different. We're just bouncing off the same media ecosystem that they are, and it dooms us to irrelevance. It dooms our messages to be just entertainment or propaganda or even kayfabe and not truly meaningful messages that have the ability to minister to. And, of course, the most important ministry is the gospel itself. It gets lost in the glut. And that's... That's a challenge. And that's also why I believe so much in theologically trained media artists and communicators because we – sure, this happened really fast, you know, to to your earlier points. Like this all came upon us in like the last 20 years. And so a lot of grace to go around on people who have not known how to react fast enough. Well, we need another generation who now is inheriting um, all of this at the – at one time and then can maybe reassess how where it belongs in our life. Neil Postman, you mentioned the now this, you know, and he's talking about the newscaster back when there's only three channels. Seven people died in a plane crash today. And now this, a squirrel water skiing. And it's just irrelevance next to import, you know, now this, now this, now this. Uh, Postman sort of maybe uh, didn't live to see it, but he sort of predicted the Facebook feed, you know, the now this, that's uh, somebody's, you know, reaching out for attention, um, some trivial meme, um, a recipe. It's it's just now this, now this, now this. Well, think about new platforms like TikTok. It is the ultimate expression of the now this. And we're always just channel uh, swapping and reacting against these things. And we're not really um, spending enough time tuning ourselves to what people are really looking for in that surfing. What do they need to hear? What do they need to see? Where where can they experience that? 
I don't think ministry media is just getting ourselves in that feed. I don't think that's the fullness of it. I don't think we should abandon those feeds, but that is not the, the, the main place people are going to experience the truths of the gospel and the beloved community. It's not the true place they're going to understand their common identity in Christ and the invitation into the body and family of Christ. These things that need to be communicated and expressed in other ways, and of course our main medium for that is the local church. We can't just allow the local church to become digitized, disembodied, disincarnate. We can't just uh, decide, you know what? Streaming exists. Zoom exists. The pandemic showed us that we can get it done. That's fine. Of course it's not fine. Now, we shouldn't be not okay with it because giving is down or because attendance is down or because we built a building. We should not be we should be not okay with it because our theology drives us towards being present and gathered and embodied. From there we should figure out what it means and how we should structure our churches and and and, and coexist in these new media realities, but we should not be just reacting to trends. So many churches who would have never done online church or never done online sacraments, or maybe they do online communion, but certainly not online baptism, they all just did that overnight. And I get it, the pandemic was a weird time, still is a weird time to be alive. But did they make that decision? Uh, did they? Have, if I asked them what the, the theological grounding for that decision is, would they be able to respond? And I've talked to lots of leaders, and the honest answer is no. Some could. And they look— you know, to me, the most important part is the message. However it gets out, it's fine. And you're right. Uh, praise God for the technology to broadcast the words of the gospel over podcasts and radio and television and TikTok and all these things and even multi-site satellite churches where a million people are on Zoom. Praise uh, – praise, uh, uh, we can praise the miracle of that gift of technology, but that's not the church. It's 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 – it's very difficult to make a case that that's what our purpose here in this time and physical space is for. It could be a part of it. But what do we lose and what do we gain with each new technological revolution? A big part of media studies is that. What do we gain and what do we lose? Because there's always gain and there's always loss. Whether it's the very classic shift from oral cultures to literate cultures or the modern shift from literate cultures to televisual cultures or now this latest shift, this shift into a socialized, you know, fully mediated culture which may progress in this thing called the metaverse or this is a sort of the third attempt of VR and metaverse style language being sort of attempted on the population. Maybe this one holds, maybe it doesn't. But clearly we seem to be I have not quite satisfied our appetite for more and more mediated experiences. And again, there is no median culture question, uh, whether they're new or old, that doesn't immediately uh, suggest theological implications. Mm. Yeah, something I've definitely learned over my time here in this experience is, is that there's there's pros and cons to each to each effect that we have with each new piece of media technology that enters the media media ecology space, there's different pros and cons that come with it. With social media, we have greater connection between people over distances, and my parents live on the other side of the globe in Japan, and technology has enabled us to be more connected. But what can happen with our local people and our local congregations and our local relationships is that when we get coffee with a friend or a loved one or a spouse, we're looking at our phones instead of talking to one another. What happens with technology and the Zoom revolution in church today is that for the bedridden and the elderly who cannot go to church physically, 
Zoom has been a revolution of them being integrated into the church body and them being considered. Whereas for the rest of the people who are able-bodied and able to go into church, what they can get is they become disincarnated from their local body. They feel depressed. They have anxiety symptoms and syndromes that develop because they're not connected with their local body. So how would you say Christians are doing a good job in terms of certain examples of good job of utilizing media and technology well today? And how do you think Christians could do better overall in using technology to communicate who Christ is in the life of the church today? Maybe a couple of questions in there. Um, I don't think there are a lot of great examples. I think we can go find media that we're proud of, that is meaningful, that is um, that is biblically grounded, um, that is accurate to the gospel, that is God-honoring. We can find those examples, um, but I think those are isolated examples. I think every, every um, community that I've spoken with that is really doing the best they can, I mean, they are asking the right questions. They're, they're not just about the bottom dollar or they're not just about the latest technology. They truly are trying to do the best they can. It's a mess. We've got generational shift. We've got technological shifts. We've got differences in styles. Um, the last couple of years, again, really have sort of shuffled and accelerated things even further. Um, but I do think we can do better. We've already hit on some of the things where we need to begin to move beyond the, the, the reactionism, the, the, this sort of quest for um, pragmatism or efficiency techniques and best practices. What is working for that other church? Let's just copy that. This cult of technique that kind of plagues evangelicalism uh, really has a strong hold on our view of technology. When Marshall McLuhan, who is also one of the founding media colleges and sort of the, the grandfather of the whole field, you know, he's the one who coined medium is the message. He understood that these mediums, these technologies are not neutral and they're not just purely additive. They are ecological. They change us. We change them. Our entire environments change. Some of you who listen might remember when the first time a projector got bolted into your church. It does seem to change everything. When hymnals stopped being used and projected lyrics of modern worship songs, when the drum finally became accepted in modern evangelical churches, when the, when the electric guitar was not just an instrument of the devil but became a sort of staple in modern worship, every single one of these choices seemed to change everything. It changes the entire environment. Marsh McLuhan is a fascinating study because he's a late-in-life convert to Christianity and um, had a very Christocentric Catholic faith, and, and because he was the top academic in media studies, he was immediately then asked questions about uh, the questions of faith. And he was continually amazed at the reluctance, often the downright refusal of people to pay attention to the effects of media and at their hostility to him for what he revealed. They included those clay lay and clergy who enthusiastically embrace the latest technologies without regard for their effects. Such people are blindly eager to make the mass or the sacraments or the congregation the content of each new gadget or technology that comes along in the interest of bringing the church up to date and making the church more relevant. McLuhan goes on to say they are quite innocent of the power of these forms to transform their users, innocent but not guiltless. When asked, as a Christian, have you examined the effects that such a context has on the church and more precisely on faith, McLuhan answers, 
I would prefer that most questions of that sort be dealt with by theologians, but they do not seem to be interested. And so how to use it well is sort of the theme of our conversation, to um, regain a theological approach to media and culture. We don't want to just add theology to existing theories uh, and understandings of media and culture. We need true theologies of. For, the, for you theology nerds who are listening, who might be a lot because this is a, a moody environment, uh, we love our systematic theology. We love a deep academic study into theology, but there is no such thing as a theocommunicology. There is no systematics when it comes to message-making, meaning-making, communications, media, and the arts. What we have is a tradition with a very weird relationship with communications, meaning, media, and the arts. So one of the things that I think we then begin again with is sort of what my home square is. I love modern media, but again, it's not the it's not the the one dimension that I live in. My my academic expertise is in the making of meaning. Where does meaning come from? In my charge to Christians, to students, to churches, to whoever's listening, is to make things that matter, things that mean something. And of course, the messages with the most meaning are the ones that have the potential to minister to us. Making ministry media that matters and the message with the ultimate meaning, of course, is the gospel itself. It is its own message that does need to be recommunicated over and over again in an infinite variety of creative ways and it belongs on every new platform and every new technology, but it must be connected to the experiential reality, the representational reality that the church and the Christian life was meant to be. They need to be inseparable. We cannot disincarnate Christ from the message, the message from his church. Even though our media allows us to extend our senses out over these electric wires, we become electric men and women, does not mean that is the way we were meant to live. But increasingly, that is how we're living. So another point I would suggest to the church is to be intentional about bringing people back out of that mediated environment into a fully present, embodied, representational place where they can be reminded what their common identity in Christ is, where they can be reminded about who God is, what Christ has done, who they are to one another, and what true righteousness and justice in this world actually looks like in present physical lived reality. And then we should send people out, both physically and digitally, missionally, with that message, with that understanding of the way things really are, inviting people back to come and see the life of the church trying their best to embody these things. And a healthy church will have a will have a uh, it's never going to be a complete, but at least a thorough understanding of the media eco- media ecosystem, the media environment in which they live. A wealthy church has a different media environment that they live in than, than an under-resourced church. A church on the other side of the planet has a different media environment than one, say, in downtown Chicago. Also why the, the, this localization of theologians and message makers is so important, why we need to train people from those places who can go back and help make those decisions because we're not all dealing with the same amount of opportunity, access, technology, language, literacy, all of it. And God's word is God's word for all people in all times and in all literacy levels, or it's not God's word. So it's our, our mission, our message on this planet does not depend on these technologies or this access. 
It depends on localized people representing the truths of what it is to be the body of Christ, inviting people into that reality, and then sharing that message with the world through all of the amazing ways we've been given to communicate. And if that's still sculpture and art and tapestry, love it. And if that's modern digital media and a TikTok channel, I think I get behind that too. Yeah, one thing I've definitely appreciated from your common center model is that it really is rooted upon a proper understanding of who Christ is. And one theological aspect I see really lacking is a proper theology of creativity, of ex nihilo, of the creation itself. The ultimate creative act of all creation is God speaking the world and the universe into existence. And oftentimes, personally for me, I see a lot of Christian media and I become very frustrated because – Oftentimes when we look at the CCM industry is that it's a copy of a copy and it's copying the trends of the pop media industry. For me, I really like a bit more niche artists because there's more creativity. There's more organicness to expressing who God is. So artists for me like King's Kaleidoscope is an amazing example of just creating organic music that really is rooted out of who Christ is and the Christian experience rather than trying to reproduce another model so that they can continue to make money off of this industry. Maybe that's too cynical in terms of their intentions, but that's the effect that has happened today. Yeah, we definitely agree about that. Um, and you, can, you, you know it when you see it, right? Meaning is very related to the arts because it's hard to describe. It's hard to even give language to it. We know it when we see it. We know that somebody is, is putting something out there that's not just corporate or copied or heartless, but it's, oh, it's just of them, right? And it means something. And uh, I think the Christians specifically have a belief system that is not quiet about how meaning is made, how, you know, the, the importance of, of relationships and what it is to um, hear or see a message and go, yeah, that. And that's what I love about our artists, you know. That's why I love our artist community here at Moody. We, this community of people who can, vivi- who can externalize vividly what we all feel vaguely, you know. Mm. And that connection point is important. And of course, those people that have that talent need to be theologically grounded. And yeah, if I was going to charge your listeners with one, you know, one thing is that your theology absolutely can and should shape both your media practices and the way you coexist in this new media environment. Yeah, I remember, um, I forget which philosopher it was. I think it was Schopenhauer, um, where he talked about, and he was a... Uh, he was a death of death of God. The, no, he was um he was a nihilist theologian. That's what he nihilist philosopher. Sorry, Schopenhauer was a nihilist philosopher who really said that oftentimes what are the only meaning we can find in life is art, which I found to be a very fascinating concept. Which I think we can also utilize in our understanding of who God is. Is that we are the purpose of our existence is to worship, and to worship is to reflect who God is. And to reflect who God is, we must reflect his creative essence. And so in order to be faithful ministers of the gospel and proclaimers of who God is and what the gospel is, then we must faithfully be creative, utilizing new mediums, utilizing true expression, organic creativity. That's not just a copy of a copy of a copy, but rather an expression of the, of the experience, of the human experience, encountering God, being transformed by God, encountering Christ and being known and united to him. Exactly. That's why they say that truth is better revealed than instructed. 
There's one thing to know the right answer, and then there's another thing to embody it, and it's another entirely different thing to be able to embody that that truth in a way and to be able to express it in a way that other people can go, yes, that, that, me too. That is how I feel. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for creating that. Thank you for making that. I thought I was the only one. I am not alone. And that is the chorus of voices the church should know how to be. We should be experts in the making of meaning. We should be where people come to to study how meaning is made. We have been in history's past, and we can be again. Mm. Thank you so much, for Professor Kamersal, for coming on the show. And as we wrap up this time, what would you say is one book that you think everyone should read today? Mm. I know it's been a hard question for all the other guests I've had, but what is one book that you think everyone should read? Well, at least on this topic— I will never pass up an opportunity to uh, introduce your readers to Jacques Ellul, a French philosopher and theologian. Um, His specific book, The Technological Society, and maybe the parallel book, Propaganda, um, are absolutely essential reads to begin a journey into these areas of thought. Well, thank you so much, Professor Kamerzelt, for coming on the show and being able to discuss with us how do we integrate media and communications technology with our theology in the 21st century Professor Kemmerzal here teaches various classes here at the Moody Bible Institute, and if you're interested in uh, sitting under him and under his classes, come to Moody. Or if you're already currently a student and you are looking at electives or a comm student, I would highly recommend taking classes with Kemmerzal. I have personal experience, I think three semesters now, under his classes, and it's been a great experience. So thank you so much, Professor Kemmerzal, for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moody Profcast. The Moody Profcast is a production hosted, produced, and edited by Jonah Swenson in partnership with the professors of the Moody Bible Institute. Graphics are by Aaron Goodfellow. The music featured is the song Autumn 2011 by Locksbeats. We'd also like to thank Moody Radio and the Moody Communications Department for letting us use their facilities for this production. Tune in again to the Moody Profcast to learn more about how theology intersects with our culture.